Now, I've been in church for a long time in my life. Other than a couple of years here or there where I kind of wandered away, uh, I've been in church since almost, I guess, since I was born. Mark Lowry often jokes that his family attended church so regularly when he was growing up that if the pastor was going to wash the windows, his family filled their pews so they could watch. I can relate to that statement because we never had an oppor- we never had a choice about going to church. We always were there. I mean, something I've noticed in all my years of being in church is that those who love Jesus and want to live for him, they're always seeming to long for more than they're currently experiencing. They want more of him, more of his grace, more of his spirit, better understanding of the word, better able to live out what he has done for them. And, and so I would wonder, what is your pursuit of Jesus been like? I mean, would you say that you're. That while you're pursuing Jesus, you'd, you'd love to go deeper with Jesus, as we've been trying to talk about in the last several weeks. Now, many people, they do want to go deeper with Jesus, but they just don't seem to be able to accomplish them. For them, the deeper life, it seems almost mythical. Yet in Scripture, the, the deeper life is a reality. In fact, it, it's more than a reality. It's meant to be a certainty. Right? Every believer is meant to go deep with Jesus. None of us. As followers of Jesus Christ are really meant to live in the shallows. We're all meant to launch out into the deep with Christ. And, and today we're going to talk about a prayer. A prayer that we can pray that builds up until we will be people who are deep followers of Jesus Christ. Open your Bible, if you haven't already, to Ephesians 3 and verse 14 is where we're going to start. Uh, It's page 896 in the Pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. The Apostle Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Title of the message is, There is Always More. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we've gathered here today because we want to meet with you. We've gathered here, Lord, to study your word, to let your spirit come and bring it to life in our lives. Father, we want to go deeper with Jesus. We want to be filled with all the fullness of God and all the the greatness that that statement means. And God, we know as we look at your word that this is possible. We know from looking at your word that, Lord, this is what you intend for us. So today as we begin to study what we can do, what steps we can take, things we can pray so that we can, Lord, be filled with all the fullness of God. Let our hearts and our minds be open to you that, Lord, we would receive your word as, as precious seed, God, that would go deep into our hearts and it would bring forth fruit into our lives. Lord, as we begin to live this out and pray this prayer and try to follow your leading in our lives, let us see God, that we are growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we are going deeper. Father, help us to understand that there is always more. That, Father, no matter how deep we are as disciples of Jesus today, there is always more of you to know. There is always more of you to experience. There is always more of you to comprehend. Help us never to be complacent. Help us never, Lord, to be satisfied. Stir up a hunger and a desire for more, more, more in all of our hearts, God. 
that we would seek you and pursue you above all else for the rest of our days. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Use me as a vessel of honor today that would bring glory to your name. Father, let your spirit and your word work together to bring change into our lives. Father, save the lost, restore the backslider, heal those who are spiritually blind. Father, that they would see Jesus and their need for him. Encourage us, strengthen us, and help us, we ask in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. As I studied this passage this week, there were three truths, three facts that stood out. The first is, this prayer is really all about their spiritual life. Paul does not in any noticeable way pray for their physical needs. Right? As Paul goes deeper with Jesus in prayer, his prayer is that they too would go deeper with Jesus. And it's all focused on spiritual things. And I thought that was interesting. How often do our prayers focus merely on physical needs? Right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's anything bad or wrong about, about praying for physical needs. When Jesus gave what we call the Lord's Prayer, he said that we are to pray for God to provide us our daily bread. So praying for our physical needs is something God wants us to do. He invites us to do. However, our prayer for ourselves and for others should not focus only on physical needs. It should also focus on spiritual needs and the spiritual life of, of us and those that we're praying for. The second fact that stood out to me is that all of the things, the petitions that Paul prays, they all build on the other until they get to the one final need. Right. So he prays. That God would grant them, according to the riches of his glory, that they would be strengthened with might in his spirit, in the inner man. Why? So that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Why? So that we could be rooted and grounded in love and comprehend the, the height, the length, the width, and the depth of the love of Christ. So that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Each petition... Build on the one before it until it gets to the overall goal of being filled with all the fullness of God. Now, that's quite a phrase, isn't it? Being filled with all the fullness of God. But that's the goal of the prayer. And the third fact that stood out to me is that since this prayer is scripture, then we can be certain that this is God's will. Right? It is. We can be sure as we look at all of these things. I can be sure that it is God's will that I be strengthened with might through his spirit in my inner man. That's God's will for me. That's God's will for you. I can be certain that it is God's will for me that Christ would dwell in my heart by faith. That is God's will for me. That is God's will for you. I can be certain that it is God's will that I would be able to comprehend the width, the length, the depth and the height of the love of Christ. But I can also be certain that it is God's will that I would be filled with all the fullness of God. You can also be certain that it is the Father's will that you be filled with all the fullness of God. God wants to do all of these things in us and through us and for us. So the key truth for today is, is simple. I can and should be filled with all the fullness of God. But if I am a believer in Jesus Christ, 
then I can be filled with all the fullness of God. If I am a believer in Jesus Christ, I should be filled with all the fullness of God. And as I thought this week, as I studied this, I thought, man, this this is what going deeper really is. Thus far, mostly what we've looked at is the need to go deeper and the basics that you do. But here... What does the deeper spiritual life look like? What does it look like when we go deeper with Jesus? We are filled with all the fullness of God. That's what I want from my life. I hope this is what you want from your life. Paul's prayer teaches us how to be filled with all the fullness of God. First, I have to know and embrace my identity in Jesus. Paul says in verse 14, for this reason, I I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he mentions he bows his knees. And if you're like me, that doesn't mean much. You don't catch that there's anything significant about that because it's not unusual for us to kneel in prayer. But it was unusual for Jewish men to kneel in prayer. The primary way that Jewish people, particularly men, prayed was to stand. I think about if you've ever looked at pictures of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. You know that the the, the Jewish men who go to the wall to pray, they don't get down on their knees. The healthy ones don't even sit down. They go to the wall, they stand, and some raise their hands. Or they raise one hand or the other. But this was the common way for a Jewish man to pray. When When they prayed kneeling, it was typically significant. When they got on their knees to pray, it it indicated, one, there was a deep humility. They were bowing before God. It it indicated deep emotion. right? They didn't get on their knees to say, God bless this food to the nourishment of my body. Help me to have a good day today. But there was a deep emotion in this prayer. But there was also a deep intensity. When they were kneeling to pray, they were being fervent in their prayer. So what was it that made Paul... As he prayed for the Ephesians to pray with such humility, such emotion and such intensity. Well, it's the very first phrase for this reason. The reason is what God had revealed to Paul and what God had revealed through Paul about his great plans for the church and all those who were a part of it. When Paul thinks about all the stuff he's written about, from Ephesians 1.1 to Ephesians 3.13, and all the stuff God has said he was going to do in us and through us and for us, it just dropped him to his knees before God, and it moved him to pray with emotion and intensity for God to do the things that he said he would do. Now, we don't have a lot of time this morning to, to look at all of these things, but I do want to review a few because... What we're looking at, it's important. Today, I think the church of Jesus Christ, we we have an identity crisis. We have an inferiority complex. The church of Jesus Christ today largely pictures ourselves as poor and pitiful and powerless. Right, that, that we are just one election away from losing all of our rights in the church of America being shut down and being no more. That is certainly not the picture that we find in Scripture of the church of Jesus Christ that the gates of hell will not conquer. 
We need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know that we are not poor. We are not pitiful. We are not powerless. We are not dependent upon a government or a party or anyone else. Who we are and what we can do comes from God Himself and is guaranteed by Christ on the cross. So we've got to know these things. So what is some of the things that it tells us? And we don't have time to look, but I want to quickly review. Look at Ephesians 1 and 3. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. As you think about your life, who you are as a disciple of Jesus Christ, do you recognize that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing because of your connection to Jesus Christ? As a church, our church is blessed with every spiritual blessing because of Jesus Christ. We're not poor. We're not pitiful. We're not powerless. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing because Jesus Christ is Lord. Look at verse 4 and 5. Just as He, the Father, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as, by, adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. You and I, we are chosen and adopted by God Almighty. Think about that. Do you ever think about that? Why are you saved? Why do you know Jesus Christ as Lord? It is because God the Father said, I want you. Right? If you ever played sports, I was terrible at sports growing up. So any type of sports where you pick captains and you said, you go, you pick him and you pick him. Right? It was always, well, I guess we'll take Ross. I was terrible at basketball and things like that. I hated those games because I knew... Even my best friends would not pick me first. If I was picked, it was because it was between me and the imaginary player. That's all it was. But we're not chosen by God in that way. Before the foundation of the world, God looked down and He knew that you and I would exist. And He said, I want that person on my team. And He chose us through Christ. He called us to Christ. And when we answered that call, He adopted us. He made us His sons and His daughters to the good pleasure of His will. And what that means is, it brought God pleasure to choose you, to save you, and to adopt you. He didn't say, well, I guess I'll take Gerald. Oh, well, whatever. No, I'm glad I chose Gerald. That brings pleasure into my life. Do you think that about yourself? That God, Almighty God, Creator of heaven and earth, looking into eternity, saw you, knew your flaws, your failures, your sins, your mistakes, your rebellion, everything, and said, I want them. And intentionally chose us and adopted Him, adopted us. And when we were adopted, it brought great pleasure into his life. Oh, friends, we are not poor and powerless. We are chosen and adopted by God, our Father. We have, in verse 7, we have redemption through the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness 
of sins. But if you're like me, your past holds things that weigh you down. Your past holds mistakes and failures that bring shame into your life when you think about it. But not before God. Right? That's, that's me. And that may be Satan, the accuser. But it's not before God. God has forgiven me. God has redeemed me out of that old way of life. But I, my sins are fully and forever forgiven. When you think about your life and who you are in Christ, do you focus on the mistakes you made at some point in the past? Do you even focus on the mistakes you've made recently? Because you're not those things. You are forgiven. You are redeemed by Almighty God. Now look at verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 13 and 14. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance and the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Right? We are sealed and secured by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives within us, and He is the down payment assuring us that God will do everything else He has promised to do. Think about that. How great is everything else if the down payment is the Spirit of God living within us, empowering us, helping us, and guiding us? We are not poor. We are not powerless. We are not pitiful. We are sealed and secured by the Spirit of Almighty God. Look at chapter 2 and verses 1 through 7. I won't read them because we're actually going to come back in a little bit. But verses 1 through 3 give this terrible picture of humanity apart from Jesus. Verse 4 says, but God. Right? We were all of these things. And we were headed to judgment. But God intervened. And where we were spiritually dead, He brought spiritual life. Where we were without hope, He gave us hope. But God intentionally intervened in your life. And, and this is the great thing. If we're disciples of Jesus, it's not because we made a good choice. We didn't just sit there one day and be like, I think I need Jesus. No. God reached out to us first. God intervened in our way of life that was leading us to hell. And He said, no, there's something better. Come with me. God intervened in your life, in my life, to save us from the judgment to come. He goes on in verse... 10 of chapter 2. But we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are His workmanship. And one of the things people wrestle with in this life is, is purpose. Why am I here? Does my life have any meaning? If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, the answer is yes. It does. It has a divine, God-given purpose and meaning to it. Almighty God looked down at your life and He planned something specific for you. How awesome is that? 
verses 11 through 13. You were once Gentiles in the flesh. You were called the uncircumcision. But what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. At the time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. But there was a time where the promises of God, they were not ours. We couldn't look at those promises and say, I am His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I am chosen and adopted. I couldn't say that, but now I can. Now, all the promises of the book are mine. Christ is the guarantee of those things. And when once I had no hope, now I can abound with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans says. But we, we are not poor and pitiful and powerless. We are chosen by God. We are adopted by God. We are filled with the Spirit of God. We are inheritors of the promises of God. We live with purpose from God. Friends, we, we have to know who we are in Christ. Because the things we're going to pray for, they're big. They're big. I mean, this is, as I was looking through this message, these are some of the biggest requests we could ever pray. And if we do not know who we are in Christ, we will say, there's no way that can be for me. But there's no way that I can be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. I'm just not good enough. There's no way Christ will dwell in my heart. There's... Filled with all the fullness of God, that would be nice, but that's just not something that can happen to me. But when we know who we are in Jesus, we know that it's not about our worthiness before God. It is about our our acceptance by God. It's about what God has promised to do in us and through us and for us because of our connection to Jesus. As the Apostle Paul thought about all that God had done in the lives of the disciples of Jesus and all that God would do in the lives of disciples of Jesus, he is nearly overwhelmed and it knocks him to his knees and he begins to pray in great humility and great emotion and great intensity. Periodically, we should just go through the Bible and we should find all the things that the Bible says about who we are because of Christ, and we should think deeply on those things. To remind ourselves that we are not poor, and we are not powerless, and we are not pitiful, and we are not dependent on a person. But we are the sons and the daughters of Almighty God. And because of that, there are deep, precious promises have been given to us, and they are true And they are for us. And as we think upon that, it would knock us to our knees. And it would lead us to pray with humility, with emotion, with intensity. You and I, we are meant to be filled with all the fullness of God. But I have to know who I am in Christ before I'll ever begin to pray this way. So first, we want to know and embrace our identity in Christ. But secondly, we need to pray confidently. You read Paul's prayer. There's no hesitation. 
There's no fear. There's no what ifs. Paul doesn't even hedge his bet by saying at the end, if it be your will. Paul just prays all these things would happen. And there is confidence and there is expectation that God is going to do all of these things that Paul has prayed. He fully expects that God will strengthen them with might through His Spirit in the inner man. He, he fully expects that, that God will shape them so that Christ can dwell in their hearts by faith. They would understand, comprehend the greatness of God's love and that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul prays confidently for two reasons. One, God is my Father. Now, this is why we should pray confidently as well. Paul bends his knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The idea of the whole family of heaven and earth is that of disciples who have gone on to glory and those who are still living on the earth. God is the Father of all those who believe in Jesus Christ. Paul refers to God as our Father around 42 times in his letters. Eight of those are found in the book of Ephesians alone. When we first trust in Jesus Christ as our salvation, we are adopted by God. That's what it talks about. We've already looked at. Romans 8 and 15 says that, that we aren't given a spirit of fear, a spirit of bondage that makes us afraid. But instead... We have received a spirit of adoption that enables us to cry out that God is our Abba. God is our Father. Now, Abba is the Aramaic word for Papa. It was usually the first word that a child would learn. And it was a term of respect and affection. It implied such intimacy that the Jewish people would never use it in reference to God. They saw God as the father of the nation of Israel. But none would ever say, God is my personal Father, my personal Abba. And yet that's how we are actually taught to pray. When we pray, we aren't talking to a God who is way up there and who is unconcerned about our lives. We are talking to a Father who chose us, who adopted us, who saved us. And He did it simply because it brought Him pleasure. I mean, think about that. It is so important that we understand God did not have to choose us. God did not have to save us. God did not have to adopt us. God would have been just to leave us in our sinful, rebellious condition. But He chose not to do that. And choosing that, saving us, brought Him great pleasure. Your salvation brought God the Father Pleasure. Have you ever thought about that? Man, it's amazing. He did it because he loved us and he wanted to, he wanted to give us this. <clears throat> it should lead us to pray with great confidence. Jesus affirmed this idea. He said, if, if we being evil, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father in heaven give good things to those who ask Him. God, our Father, wants us to be strengthened with might in our spirit through His Spirit. God, our Father, wants Christ to dwell in our hearts by faith. God, our Father, wants us to comprehend the width and the depth, the length and the height of His love. And God, our Father, wants us 
to be filled with all the fullness of God. So all the petitions we're going to talk about, we should pray with great confidence and great expectation. For these are the Father's will for our lives. Not only is God our Father, but God is able. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. Paul confidently expects God to grant these requests because they are coming out of the riches of God's glory. Now, I like the way the New Living Translation uses this. It says, from his glorious, unlimited resources. Now, what a phrase. The picture is that God has all the resources necessary to grant these petitions in our lives. God has everything that is needed To be able to strengthen us with might. For Christ to dwell in our hearts. To comprehend the love. That we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, here's what's great. Paul was not confident in the Ephesians' ability to stir this up. Paul is not confident in the Ephesians' ability to do these things. Paul is confident that God, God Almighty, has everything that's needed. So that he can take and he can do that in their lives. Right? Not only does God have the resources to do this, but verse 20 says that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to his power that works in us. So we're praying for God to do these things. God, strengthen me with might. Through your spirit in the inner man, God can do that and much more. God, make it so that Christ can dwell in my heart by faith. God can do that and much more. God, help me to comprehend the width and the depth and the height and the greatness of your love. And God can do that and much more. God, fill me with all the fullness of you. God can do that and much more. God is able to do Everything that we're going to talk about today. The requests that we're going to look at, the petitions are enormous. But they are well within God's capability to grant. He has the resources necessary to produce these in our lives. He has the power necessary to produce these in our lives. God, our Father, has everything that is needed. So that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. God, our Father, wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God. And so we should pray confidently for these things to happen in our lives. So what are the petitions? Number one, pray for spiritual strength. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. His first petition Be strengthened with might through the Spirit in the inner man. That's a lot to unpack. The petition is for God to make disciples strong in our spirits through the mighty power of God that comes through the Holy Spirit. That's what it's about. The inner man, or what I'm calling the Spirit, I think it's the Spirit, our Spirit, It is the part of us that was spiritually dead before God intervened and made us alive in Christ. Our spirit is the part of us that allows us, Paul says in Romans 7.22, to delight in God's word. 
The spirit is the part of us that's being renewed day by day. When we talk about our spirit. We win or we lose spiritual battles in our spirit. Because, for instance, the Bible says that that the God of hope can fill us with all joy and peace and believing that we abound in hope through the power of the spirit. Now, where does all of that happen in our lives? Is it in our minds? Is it in our bodies? No, it's in our, our spirit. Ephesians 6.10 Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Where are we to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might? In our, in our hands, in our feet, in our flesh? No, in our spirit. Spiritual battles are won and lost because of the condition of our spirits. But Paul knows this. And so Paul is saying, I, I want my prayer for you is that God the Father, He would send His Holy Spirit and the mighty power of God that comes through the great power of the Spirit would strengthen your spirit so that you can stand strong. Right? We need to be strengthened in our spirit so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. Be strong in the Lord, the power of His might, that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil's tricky. He schemes, he plots. How are we going to overcome that? By having a strong spirit, the Holy Spirit has strengthened. We need to be strong in the spirit so we can withstand in the evil day and still be standing. Stand. And when the evil day is over, that you'll still be standing. The evil day can be all kinds of things, but one particular is on days of great spiritual struggles. What makes the difference between winning a spiritual battle and losing a spiritual battle? Being strengthened by His might through the Holy Spirit in the inner man. When we're strengthened by His might through the Holy Spirit in the inner man, we we withstand in the evil day. And when it's all over, we'll still be standing. We need to be strengthened in our spirit so that we can follow the Spirit's leading instead of the the leading of our spiritual nature, our, our sinful nature. Right? Follow the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Where does all that happen? In our spirit. And I need the Holy Spirit to strengthen me in my spirit so that I will be more attuned to Him and more willing to follow Him than I am the desires of my sinful nature. I need to be strong in the Spirit so that I can love when I'm tempted to hate. Are you ever tempted to hate? Not other people or things that that tempt you to be filled with anger and hatred towards them. How do we overcome that? Not by saying, don't hate them, just love them. That doesn't work. We need to be strengthened in the inner man by the might and the power of Almighty God so that we can love rather than hate. We need to be strengthened in the spirit when we so we can have joy when we're tempted to be discouraged. Do you ever get discouraged? Does discouragement, is that something you understand? Does that happen to you in life? How, how, do we, how do we have joy instead of being discouraged? We're strengthened by His might through the Spirit in the inner man. We need to be strong in our spirits so that we can have peace when we're tempted to be anxious. Does the news and the world make you anxious sometimes? Stock market rises, the stock market shakes, memos here, rocket men there, all of this stuff. Does any of that cause a little bit of quivering, anxiety? How do we we have peace that passes all understanding 
When everything around us tempts us to be filled with anxiety. We're strengthened by His might through the Spirit in the inner man. We need to be strong in our spirit so that we can be patient when we're tempted to be short-tempered. Now, I know you guys are never tempted to be short-tempered, but I am. Sometimes I can be short-tempered. How do I overcome that? Right? Now, have you ever noticed that if you're short-tempered and you're anxious, somebody's saying, calm down? It doesn't actually help, does it? You should calm down. Oh, great. That's all I needed to know right there. Now it's all better. How, do we, how can we be long-tempered instead of short-tempered? We'll be strengthened by His might through the Holy Spirit in our inner man. We need to be strong in the Spirit so that we can be kind when we're tempted to be cruel. So now I, You know, we talk about kids often being cruel, but let's just be honest. Adults are cruel too. If you don't believe that, go to YouTube and read the comments under the videos. Read the comments under any news article on Facebook or Twitter. Grown people are just as cruel as children are. And probably all of us are tempted to be cruel in one way or another, just not to the same sort of people that maybe other people are. How do we overcome that? Be nice? Oh, I never thought just to be nice. No. We need to be strengthened by might through the Spirit in our inner man so that we can be kind when we're tempted to be cruel. To be, we need to be strengthened in the Spirit so that we can be morally good when we're tempted to be moral to do moral sin. Sin's always there of one form or another. It's probably different from each one of us in here. But whether it's gossip or lust or laziness or gluttony or fornication, there is something, some moral sin we're all tempted by. How do we keep from giving in to that temptation? We're strengthened by His might through the Spirit in the inner man. We need to be strong in the Spirit so we can be faithful and we're tempted to break our word. I say I'll do it. I'm going to do it. Again, there's going to be times in all of our lives where maybe we don't want to do something if we've said we would. And we want to find a reason and find a way out. How do we make, how do we be faithful? Strengthened by His might through the Spirit in our inner man. We need to be strong in spirit so that we can be gentle when we're tempted to be harsh. You ever tempted to be harsh? Somebody asks a question and you say, are you, are you stupid? I mean, what, what's wrong with you? Right? Again, you're probably not, but I am sometimes. How do we overcome that? We be strengthened by His might through the Holy Spirit in our inner man so that we can be gentle rather than harsh. And then self-control. Not make the right choice and we're tempted to make the wrong choice. There's always going to be choices before us, decisions we have to make. Not every decision is a Right choice and a wrong choice by mean sin and not sin. Sometimes it's just the right thing to do, but it's not necessarily sin. Read my Bible, watch TV, pray, sleep 30 extra minutes. So what do we do? How do we consistently make the right choices, have self-control to make the right choices when the temptation is to do something else? Strengthened by His might through the Holy Spirit and the inner man. This is what we all need. But all of those things are really like the fruit of the Spirit by and large. But this is what we all need. The only way we're ever going to consistently live for Jesus and do the things He wants us to do, it's not going to be a knuckling it under. You, you and I, we don't have the willpower necessary to consistently knuckle it under and do the right things. 
We can hide our anxiety and we can hide our hatred. The reality is hatred in my heart is just as evil as hatred that comes out my mouth. Just because Scott didn't hear me say how stupid I thought he was, that doesn't mean God didn't hear it and God doesn't care, right? Just because I'm able to tell you, oh, no, I'm not afraid, I don't worry. That doesn't mean God doesn't see when I lay awake at night thinking he's going to fail me and leave me alone and abandoned and ruined, right? So it's not about being able to put on a good face. It's about genuine transformation. You and I, we, we need to be strengthened by his might through the Holy Spirit in our spirit so that we can stand strong and make the right choices. Because apart from him strengthening us, we will never faithfully live for Jesus. We, we need this. But the great thing is, not only do we need this, it is God's will. You and I, we can pray, strengthen me through your might and your spirit in the inner man. And that is a prayer God will always say, yes, he wants us to be strong in our spirits. So pray to be spiritually strong. Pray for Jesus to reign in my heart. Now, the next request Paul prays is for Christ to dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, there are two words used in the New Testament for for living somewhere. One carried with it the idea of being a temporary resident. Right? So you're not permanently there. You're just kind of passing through. Think like a tourist. You're just there for a little while, but you're not staying. But the other one is to be a permanent resident, to live there forever. Change your address. The word Paul uses for Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith, it is the word for permanent resident. But Jesus does not want to be a tourist in our hearts and in our lives. He wants to live there forever to make it his home. But here's the thing. Jesus won't live there if Jesus don't rule there. In all of our hearts, there is a throne. There is a throne of who runs this life. Who controls what I do? Who determines what I say? Who determines my values, my priorities, and my attitudes? And if I want Jesus to rule, to, to, to dwell in my heart, I have to get off the throne. And I have to surrender it to Him. That is the only way He will dwell there as a permanent resident. I have to give Him control of my life, my heart. And the reason He uses heart is because Heart in Scripture is the control center of the life. Right? What's in our heart, Jesus said, comes out of our mouth. What's in our heart comes out of our life. Right? So when Jesus dwells in my heart, when Jesus reigns in my heart, Jesus comes out in my life. Jesus comes out in my values. Jesus will come out in my priorities. Jesus will come out in my attitudes. Jesus will come out in my actions. Jesus will come out in the way I react to things that stress me out or anger me. Jesus will come out in the words I say and even the way that I say them. When Jesus rules in my heart, Jesus, he comes out in our lives. Now, one of my, one of my heroes of the faith is a, a guy by the name of A.W. Tozer. 
And he said that, that we all by nature, we sit on the throne of our heart. And we have to willingly and, and intentionally get off of the throne and surrender it to Jesus. And, and listen to what he said. Until we do, we remain the king within the little kingdom of man's soul. And we wear our tinsel crown with the pride of Caesar. But we doom ourselves to the shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. We want to be fruitful for Jesus. We want him to come out in our lives. We must give him rulership in our hearts. We must get off of the throne and we must say it is yours. My life is yours. My values are yours. My priorities are yours. My attitudes are yours. My actions are yours. My reactions are yours. My words are yours. Jesus, you are Lord over all that I have and all that I am. Now, that's a big thing for Jesus to rule in our hearts. But it's a possible thing. And it is God's will for this to happen. None of us are meant to live, as Tozer said, in the shadows and in spiritual sterility. Now, it's interesting because each one builds on the one before it. We're going to have to be strong through his might and through his spirit in the inner man so that we can get off the throne and give it to Jesus. Because my flesh, my flesh ain't ever, ever going to give Jesus control of my heart. Because my flesh likes me better than it likes Jesus. So I'm going to be strong in spirit so that I can get off the throne and surrender it to Jesus. This is God's will. This is God's want. You and I, we can be filled with all the fullness of God, but it'll never happen until Jesus reigns in our hearts. And then fifthly, we, we want to pray to understand God's love. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and depth Length, width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Right? Paul knows the importance of our being rooted in God's love for us. That if we are to, to be filled with all the fullness of God, we have to be rooted in, in the greatness of God's love toward us. And he uses these dimensions. Width and length and depth and height. And likely it's just a poetic device to kind of show how great it is. But if we were to look at it and think about what it might mean, we could say that the, that the width of God's love covers every person that ever has been or ever will be born. The length of God's love begins with the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And it will continue while we walk the streets of gold. The depth of God's love took Jesus to the tomb by way of the cross. And it, the height of God's love rises to the throne of God where Jesus stands making intercession for us. No one is ever outside the love of God. No one is ever beyond the reach of the love of God. No one is ever unloved by God. And I fear that we lose the wonder of God's great love for us. And the reality is we lose something important when we lose how great God's love for us really is. I think the reason we lose it is 
when we hear it so much, anything you hear repeatedly, you tend to kind of get numb to. At the same time, and, and let me be lovingly blunt, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We look at ourselves and we say, why wouldn't God love me? What's not to love? I'm pretty great. And in order to overcome that level of pride, every so often we kind of have to take a spiritual history of who we were before God intervened in our lives. So turn back over to Ephesians 2. We're going to look at this just a little bit. Ephesians 2.1 You were dead in trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead and it was our fault. Because of our sin. We walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works. in the sons of disobedience. We willingly. Walked the course of life laid out. By the enemy of our souls. And the enemy of all that is good and right and true. In a lot of ways the picture is we allowed him to work in our lives. And determine the course of our lives. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. So we, we walked this path and we conducted ourselves. Our lives were just filled with doing whatever we wanted to do. If it felt good, we did it. If it looked good, we did it. We just did whatever we wanted to do. We didn't care what God thought. We didn't care what God wanted. We didn't care about God's will. Probably, if you're like me, you can think of a time where you even knew God was trying to call you off of that course of life. And you intentionally resisted Him to continue walking the path that was laid out for you by the prince of the power of the air. That's who we were. I mean, at one point in your life, this was you. At one point in my life, this was me. In fact, if you've never turned to Jesus, this is still you. I mean, think about that. In other places in Scripture, it talks about us being enemies of God. That we made ourselves His enemies by our wicked thoughts and our wicked actions. Right? Because God is the King of kings, right? And he sets out the rules of what's right and wrong, what's lawful and not. And what we said to the king was, I don't have to do what you want to do. You will not reign over my life. You will not rule in my heart. I'll do my will no matter what. We committed treason against the king. We were his enemies. And that's all we ever would have been left to ourselves. But look at verse 4. But God. But if Ephesians ended at Ephesians 2, 3, it would be the worst book of the Bible. But God. This is what you were. But God intervened. God changed the course of our lives. God did something in us and through us and for us to take us off of one path and put us on another. Why did He do that? Why? Would he intervene in people who were rejecting him and resisting him and doing what he said not to do? Because God is rich in mercy. Now, this is a great picture. I love the mercy of God. Because God's mercy is really seen in two ways. One way God's mercy is seen 
is in the fact he doesn't lay the smack down on us the minute we do something wrong. I mean, think about it. If God wasn't merciful, the moment we sinned, God would bring the hammer of divine justice and judgment right down upon us. Who here is glad that that's not the way God is? The merciful nature of God is that he withheld the judgment and the justice we deserved for a period of time. But the mercy of God is also seen in that not only did he withhold the justice and the judgment, but he actively worked to pull us out of the way. But you, you could think of it like this. Imagine that God's judgment and God's justice is like right here and there, there is a dam and God is holding the dam. It's bursting. It's pushing. You can see that it's giving way. But God is right here holding it back. He is the only thing at that point keeping the dam of judgment and justice from breaking and washing over us and bringing us all of the wrath that we deserve. And he's holding it. But not only is he holding it, with the other hand, he's reaching out and saying, come here, come to me. I'll give you a way out. I can save you from this. I can bring you out of that. But that's the picture of God's mercy. He holds the judgment and justice back for a period of time. And then he reaches out to us through the gospel. And he says, come to me and be saved. I can save you from this. I can take you out of this. I can make it so that this never happens to you. That's amazing. But again, why would God be merciful to people? Who resist Him and reject Him and walk according to sin. Because of the great love with which He loved us. God's love is the basis for basically everything He does for us. While we were still sinners, God demonstrated His love for us. How? And that Christ died for us. God's love is the basis of it all. If it were not for God's love... All we would ever do is experience the wrath and the judgment and the justice of Almighty God. Now, I don't know how much you've read about judgment and justice and, and what the Bible says is going to happen when judgment falls. But it's, it's horrific. I mean, it, it, is, it is disturbing. But God loves us. And he doesn't want us to have that. He wants us to have something better. Now, each of these builds on the one before it, right? First, I pray for spiritual strength. Spiritual strength enables me to get off the throne and let Christ rule in my heart. As Christ rules in my heart, I begin to understand the, the width, the length, the depth and the height of God's love for me. And as I begin to understand the greatness of God's love for me, I am then filled with all the fullness of God. So what does it mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? Essentially, to be filled with all the fullness of God is that there's nothing lacking. There's nothing lacking in all that the Bible says I should experience or live out regarding my relationship with God. But there is nothing lacking in my life that the Bible says God will do in me and through me and for me. There's nothing lacking in my experience of what the Bible says I should experience from God and that he will do in me and through me and for me. Now, what something that's neat is all throughout this prayer, it's a Trinitarian prayer, right? Paul bows his need to the Lord, to the Father. 
Paul wants the Holy Spirit to strengthen with might, and Paul wants Christ to dwell in our hearts by faith. Right, so the picture really is that everything the Bible says God the Father will do in me, through me, and for me, the fullness of God is that I experience, I have, I live in all of those. That everything the Bible says that Jesus Christ, God the Son, will do in me, through me, and for me, I live in and I experience all of those, that nothing is lacking. And everything that the Bible says the Holy Spirit will do in me and through me and for me, that I experience and I live out all of those, that none of those is lacking. That's the fullness of God, that I have the full measure, the full experience, the full life. The Bible promises will be mine through my connection to Jesus. Now, something I I began to understand about this is that this is a, a constant process. I mean, there is no, we pray these prayers and then, boom, I'm suddenly filled with all the fullness of God there'll ever be. Think of it like this. You go to the ocean and you take a thimble and you scoop out a thimble. You can fill that thimble up with the ocean, but you didn't really take much of the ocean. There's still more of the ocean to give. So you get a big cup and you scoop that cup filled with the ocean. And the cup is filled with all the fullness of the ocean, but there's still more of the ocean to give. So you get a bucket. And you fill the bucket up to the full and it's filled with all the fullness of the ocean, but there's still more of the ocean to get. So you get a 55 gallon barrel and you fill it up and it's filled with all the fullness of the ocean, but there's still more ocean to get. So you get a tanker truck and you fill it to the brim and it's filled with all the fullness of the ocean, but there's still more ocean to get. That's kind of the way it is with God. Today we begin to pray these things and we will start to experience all the fullness of God. But the fullness of God that we experience today, that's all not all that there is of God. As we begin to continually pray these things, our, our container grows, so to speak. And as our container grows, there's more fullness of God that can be poured into our life. And as we keep living these things, keep praying these things, our container grows. And there's still more of God to be poured into our life. And this goes on and on and on. Because in this life, we are never going to reach the end of all the fullness of God. No matter how much we grow or how much of the fullness of God we get, there will always be more of God in this life for us to understand, for us to live out, for us to experience. So this isn't, we pray this prayer, we reach this point, boom, we're done. It is, we pray this prayer, we live this out, we experience it, we start to grow and there's more and more and more and more. That's why the title of the message is, there's always more. The greatness of God ensures there's always more. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, how spiritually mature we think we are. There's more. There's more. So there's no place to stop. There's no place to give up. There's no place to become complacent. There's no place to settle down and say, I like it here. If you're filled with all the fullness of God today, you keep praying and your vessel will grow. And there's more of God to experience later. And it doesn't matter if if you've only got a thimble. You do what you can do. You pray what you can pray. You live what God does in your life. God will fill that thimble up. And once it's full, it'll grow into something bigger. Don't worry about how much of all the fullness of God you can hold. Don't compare yourself to others who maybe seem to hold more of the fullness of God than you. You pray. You live these out. God will fill you with all the fullness. And then, as you continue to live that out, it'll grow and there'll be more of God. There's always more of God. There's always more to know. There's always more to experience. There's always more to live. Refuse 
complacency, reject satisfaction. Be hungry and thirsty for more and more of God. Let's